had several courses dealing with different theological aspects of God. One of those was Trinitarianism, or essentially explaining the doctrine of the Trinity. And in that, you would think, well, that seems fairly simple, but if I were ever to show you my notes, it's a volume about this big. And so what I remember well was during the semester, I was looking forward to an opportunity, a little break that I would have for a week where I was going to go skiing with my father in Canada. And the time arrived and I couldn't wait. I was on my way from Dallas up to Calgary. And obviously, as we got on the plane, I was ready just to kind of kick back, relax and enjoy the flight. And what we all know sometimes is, is when you get onto the plane, you kind of look around and you wonder, am I going to have someone sit next to me? And as the plane got fuller and fuller, this lady sat down next to me. So we exchanged pleasantries for a moment. And then obviously as the plane took off, I thought that I was going to enjoy a flight where I could just kind of relax, decompress and enjoy my time until I heard the words, so what do you do? And obviously, for a moment, I said, well, I could make something up and keep this simple, or I could explain that I'm in seminary. And so I turned to her and I said, well, I'm actually in seminary. And she said, what's that? And I said, well, it's where I'm studying about God. And she said, oh, good. For a moment, I thought you said that you're in a cemetery. And I said, no, 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 I'm in seminary. And so after that, a conversation began about God. Interestingly enough, when I asked her what she was doing, she was studying to be a neurologist. And immediately I knew, ooh, this is going to be interesting. We began a conversation about God, and interestingly enough, she said, you know, I've heard about this Jesus, but what I don't get is everybody talks about this God, Jesus, being three in one, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Like, how can you have one God and three people? And sure enough, I was all excited, and so I did the best that I could. I did the little diagram of the triangle, and I said, okay, well, let me explain this to you. God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And I did all of those things, and she kind of looked, and she said, you know, I'm even more confused now than I was before. And so interestingly enough, I began to describe that. And she said, well, how, how is it that this person, Jesus, can also be fully God? And so I began to explain that. And to make a very long story short, I enjoyed the conversation because I could tell that God was moving and working in her life. And she was asking good questions. But the challenge that was there was this. At the end of the conversation, she kind of turned and she said, you know, my biggest problem is this, is how can one or how can you worship a God that you cannot fully know or fully explain? And interestingly enough, in love, I turned to her and I said, how can you worship a God that could be fully explained or fully known? One of the things that I think is interesting this morning, we're going to be taking a look at an aspect of God, essentially incomprehensible or the God of infinite mystery. And with that, we're going to ask a question that is quite simple, yet quite complex. And that is, can I know God while not fully knowing God? 
Think about that for a minute, because one of the things that we need to think through and recognize in our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as well as with other individuals that need to know about Jesus, is that there is an aspect out there, particularly due to the postmodern movement, that says, until I engage in something, until I trust in something, until I'm going to place my worship into something, I have to fully know it. We've seen a change, essentially, of rather than saying, I'm going to walk in faith while increasing in my understanding, to before I place my faith, I must fully understand. And what I want to tell you in that is this, is that that can do great damage to our testimony, that can do great damage to our relationship with Christ, and it can do great damage to our growth in Christ. Friends, what I want to let you know is we will never fully know God this side of glory. God is not meant to be fully known this side of glory. And this morning, my prayer is, is that as we discover this, as we recognize this, this will encourage our hearts, it will draw us to a deeper sense of worship, and we will become comfortable in the incomprehensible or in trusting that we do worship a God of infinite mystery. Can I know God while not really fully knowing God? The first thing that I want to show you is this, that our reality is that this side of heaven, we will never fully know God. Friends, what I want to tell you is, is that we will continue to exhaust all manners possible, trying to fully understand who God is. And the reality is, is we will never fully come to know him. And at times, that can cause us to become concerned. That can cause us to say, well, wait a minute. If, if I want to know something, if I'm going to place my faith and trust in something, then I should be able to fully understand this thing, this entity that I'm going to trust in. It's in our DNA. Think about it for a minute. When we go and we buy a house, we look at it, we have it examined, we have essentially someone come and look at it, an inspection, we look at its value, we determine what's there, we see what's right and what's wrong about it, and before we engage in a purchase, we analyze it totally. Before we buy a car, some of us go and we do all kinds of multiple spreadsheets, we get onto the, the websites and we look at car comparisons, and then as we move forward and make that purchase, we want to fully know what it is that we're going to engage in it. And oftentimes in our relationship with God, what can happen in that is two things. If we want to fully know him, or if we move in that idea of, until I place my faith, I want to fully understand, it can cause a wall to come between us before we step in faith to comprehend a fully unknowable God. Or better yet, once we've placed our faith and trust in him, it can cause us to do one of two things. It can cause us either to move back in our relationship with him because we don't fully understand him, or we begin to do things and try to put God into a box so that we can feel comfortable. Has anybody ever kind of got God into a box and the next thing you know, God does something and he's totally outside of that box and it blows your mind? 
Friends, what I want to tell you is this. As we worship a God that is incomprehensible, quit trying to put him into a box and rest in the comfort that God is a God of infinite mystery. Yet, what we're going to discover is we can know him as we need to know him. And he knows us wholly and completely. Our reality is that this side of heaven, we will never fully know God. I want to take a minute, and I'd like to quote from Jen Wilkin in her study, None Like Him, Ten Ways God is Different Than Us. And I've said before, essentially that book is sort of the inspiration for this series that we're in. And this is what she says, because he, God, is limitless, the knowledge of who he is stretches to infinity. God is incomprehensible. This does not mean that he is unknowable, but that he is unable to be fully known. Christians have meditated on the nature and character of God's for thousands of years. Volumes have been written about God, but the sum does not contain the fullness of his attributes. The human mind in its uh, finiteness cannot fully comprehend or express an infinite God. Friends, last week we talked about God being infinite, and we began to recognize that we cannot reach the limits of God. Then, therefore, we cannot fully explain this infinite God. In fact, when we try to do that very thing, we use finite things to try to describe an infinite God. Continues on, and it says, even the most intellectually gifted theologian will barely scratch the surface of understanding who God is. He is fully known only to himself. Put another way, the only expert on God is God. Now, when we think about that, I want to just see and ask, what's your first reaction to that? Some of it's worship. Some of it is, yes, that's great. But I can also see some discomfort in that and say, well, wait a minute. If, if I'm going to place my faith and trust in this God and I'm going to allow him to know me, but yet I can't fully know him, that seems a little bit challenging. But what I would encourage you in is this. How many of you would want to worship a God, and we've talked about it before, like the Wizard of Oz? So you see this amazing thing. You see this great, big, massive object only to discover that behind the scenes there's someone that's manipulating what is there and that all that you need to know about the Wizard of Oz has been discovered. What I want to encourage us in as we walk with Christ, as we come to know God, is to be comfortable in the fact that as we come to know God, we will never fully know God this side of glory. And that's a beautiful thing. The other thing that I want to show you is this, that while our reality is that this side of heaven we will never fully know God, yet creation and the Bible reveal all that we need to know for our salvation and our sanctification. 
I don't ever want anyone to think that because we can't fully know God, that there's this hidden aspect as we place our faith and trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or that there's something out there that's yet to be discovered. One of the things that we must cherish and recognize is, is that God, being infinite, has chosen to deal in the finite. And yet in being infinite, in working with the finite, he is unknowable to the full. But yet, he's chosen to reveal himself through creation, through the scriptures, and through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so that we as finite beings can know God fully for our salvation and sanctification, yet we will never fully know God this side of glory. What does that mean? Take a moment and just think through this. One of the things that we need to recognize is that we, as we look out to creation, as we look out to the world, we can discover that indeed there is something behind these things. When we look up to the heavens, when we look at the stars in the skies, when we look down to the lowest levels in a microscope, we begin to see that there has to be some organizational aspect to what is there. Several individuals have tried to say with evolution that things just kind of evolve. But what's interesting enough is this. We utilize this idea of the watch theory. That if someone were to come and they were to look at a watch on the ground, we recognize that how has that watch put itself together? How do those parts come together to so intricately move and be designed to tick at the right point in time to keep track of time? And then we utilize that idea to understand that as we look at the world and how well it is organized, how well it is placed, we begin to recognize that there has to be something behind that organizational structure that has put it all together. And my friends, that is God. But better yet, not only do we have that, God has also said, I'm going to go another step forward and I'm going to reveal myself to my creation, to humankind through the word. I'm going to reveal myself through the Old and New Testament, which is the Bible. And I'm going to reveal myself in that way, but not only am I going to reveal myself in that way, I'm going to take the Word, and I'm going to have the Word become flesh through my servant, my son, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is going to come being fully God and fully man. He's going to live. He's going to die on a cross so that we might have life because we are apart from God due to our sin. So the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is going to pay for our debts, our sins, and by placing our faith and trust in him, we have eternal life and we can come to know God fully for our salvation. Friends, Christ has died on the cross so that we might fully know him and we might be fully saved. But also what I want to encourage you in is this, is Christ has died on the cross so that we might not just know him and be saved, but that we might grow in him and be molded and shaped more and more into the image of our Savior Jesus, which is called sanctification. Sanctification is essentially a big word for being set apart for something. So what are we being set apart for? 
Friends, prior to knowing Christ, prior to placing our faith in Jesus, we are destined for an eternity apart from God, which the scriptures say is hell. Scriptures also say that all fall short of the glory of God. So while that's bad news, while none of us in here in our own right are good enough, smart enough, intellectual enough, do enough things, spend enough time in church, help old ladies across the street enough to get to God, the good news is this, that we don't have to worry about that. Because God in the flesh has come to be known through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's died on a cross so that we, by placing our faith and trust in him, might have eternal life and then be saved. Having been saved, however, the next question is simply this. Why, and I love obviously this video out of the mouths of babes, why is it that if all Christianity is about is to be saved, is to essentially know Jesus and essentially get to heaven, then why is it that we don't immediately get to go to heaven after we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Because we're here for a purpose. We're here to be sanctified. We're here to be set apart. We're here to be set apart from a life that is ruled of sin, selfishness, greed, and selfish desire, to a life that is selfless of sacrifice, that is Christ-centered, so that people will see Christ through us. And so not only does the word or does the Bible teach us about what God has done and how we can come to Christ, but it also teaches us about how after have we've come to Christ, how can we be molded and shaped in his, into his image so that we might reflect him more fully. That's being set apart. And so while we can't fully know God, because he is incomprehensible and unable to be fully known. In the scripture, in his word, we have all that we need through creation and the Bible for our salvation and sanctification. The other thing that I want to talk about briefly is simply this. A lot of times people will say, well, how can we trust the scriptures? How can we trust that what is there is real? And that's also the creation aspect. As we study, as we look at the archaeological evidence, as we look at the stories in Scripture, they're not missing fables. When we begin to see what's discussed, when we begin to do archaeological digging, when we look back at the places that are discussed, individuals are discovering and recognizing that what was said in Scripture is really there. And then people say, well, how do we know that this wasn't just a fable made up by men? How do we know that this just isn't something that, that has been changed over the years? And we look at what's called, a, this technical term is external evidence. Interestingly enough, historians of Jesus' day mention that there was a person named Jesus who existed, and they have no need to do so. So as we look at Scripture we begin to realize that Scripture talks about Jesus, but we also realize that there were other individuals who said that there was a person named Jesus. And then we also have this question of, well, how can we trust? 
How can we trust that what was written back then or what happened back then is actually what's told today? And we try to get ourselves with what is known as the telephone game. How many of us remember the old telephone game? We all get in a circle and we say a statement, roses are red, violets are blue. You know, I like to eat turkey and so do you, right? And then we begin and we start talking about it. And the next thing you know, by the time that it gets around all 20 people, it's the Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl because Trevor said so. How did that change? And wait a minute, if that's the statement, then how do we know that it's original? Friends, what I want to tell you in this is there's an aspect that's called textual criticism, and you don't need to remember that. But the volumes of Scripture... First and foremost, all 66 books of the Bible transcend a period of time of thousands of years with a variety of different authors in a variety of different cultures in a variety of different stages, but their continuity can only be explained by divine design. To take all of these aspects, all of these books, and put them together to have such a concise story, it can only be explained by the fact that there is something that has put those things together. And what I will say is that something that has put those things together is our God. The other side of that is we look back and we say, well, how can we trust that what was said then is now? As we look back and essentially do the telephone game, we found that documents that are old, really old, are the same as they are today, to within 99% accuracy. And not only do we see that, but the volumes that are there, meaning the texts that are there, it's not just one, it's not one aspect, one small text that we found thousands of years ago to say, you know what, look, that one sentence in Isaiah, yep, that's right. No, these volumes are massive. They are beyond any other volume ever written in the entire history of the world. Let me say it another way. When we read Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, we're not reading Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, or we cannot say without a doubt that what we're reading is actually what Homer is uh, in his Iliad and Odyssey wrote. Because there's not enough volume to demonstrate that what is today written is actually what was written before. When we stack up the volumes that have been written and trace back to the original writings of who God is, the volumes go higher than the tallest skyscraper in the world. That's God. And so even though God is unknowable because he is infinite, God has chosen to reveal himself in creation and give us all that we need to know for our salvation as well as our sanctification. Jen Wilkins says this, But fear not. Though God is not able to be fully known, He is able to be sufficiently known. We can know about Him from creation and the Bible, and it's sufficient for our salvation and sanctification. Not only that, but it is more than sufficient to quantify, to keep us in regular contemplation and reflection until we see him face to face. 
And I love this next part. Were we able to know him completely, we would dismiss him because he is not able to be fully known. Familiarity can never breed contempt. Think about that for a minute. Sometimes we say we want to fully know God, but what I'm going to tell us is that we know our human nature, that if we actually fully knew God, it would breed contempt. And yet because we can never come to fully know God, that is what perpetuates our worship and our desire of Him. Because God has given us the means for us to know Him fully for our salvation and our sanctification. But why would that drive our hearts? Doesn't that seem impersonal? Doesn't that seem a little bit off? And this is the next best part that I want to encourage us in. Is that while creation and the Bible reveal all that we need to know for our salvation and sanctification, we come to realize that while we can never fully know God, He fully knows us. He fully knows us. I want you to look around right now, and I want you to recognize that God knows each and every one of you. He knows you deeply. He knows you personally. He knows you intimately. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're going to say. He knows when you go to bed. He knows when you rise. He knows your desires. He knows your aspiration. He also knows your sins, and he knows your shortcomings. And yet he chooses to reveal himself through our Savior Jesus Christ, who loves you and went to the cross so that you might have life through him. If you have your Bibles with you, this is what I'd like to talk about. This is one aspect that I think will be encouraging to us. We're going to be looking at Psalm 139, the first six verses. And as we do, David is essentially talking about the fact that here is a God who fully knows him. And as he begins to discover that this God who is wholly unknowable knows him wholly, it blows his mind. As we look at verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. The word there is just you know me, period. It's not question mark, you know me? You kind of know me. No, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And we'll get, that, get to that in just a minute. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God, you know me. You know me deeply and you know me intimately. You know me better than I know myself. And understanding and knowing that, it blows my mind. I can't figure it out. But I worship you anyway. The first thing that I want us to see, friends, is this. As we look at verse 1, God searches and knows us. God wants to know you. He is in pursuit of you. He has created you. 
and he has a passionate desire to have a deep and intimate relationship with you. Oh Lord, you have searched me. This isn't a passing glance. This isn't just a quick review. This isn't just, hey, let me look at you on the external, and if you pass these qualifications, then you meet my criteria. This is, I want to know you deeply. I want to know your heart. I want to know your strengths. I want to know your weaknesses. I want you to come to me. I want you to speak to me. I want you to share with me your joys, your hurts, your pains, your sorrows, and that's what I desire of you. I want to be with you. And he searches you, and guess what? He knows you. Period. And that should bring great comfort and great joy and great blessing as we recognize here is an infinite God who as we try to understand him is incomprehensible. Yet in that he's given us what we need for our salvation and our sanctification and he fully knows us. But not only does he search us and know us, he also knows our thoughts. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. That's really exciting and wholly terrifying, isn't it? But here's what I want to tell you. When we are in Christ, when we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, he chooses to love us. He chooses to care for us. And he knows our thoughts. And sometimes those thoughts aren't the best. But he also knows those thoughts, those deep fears that you don't want to share with anybody else. Those deep inconsistencies, those deep worries, those deep areas where you feel insufficient or unwhole or ugly or unable or uncomprehensible or not good enough. God says, I know them and it's okay because I love you and I died on a cross for you and you have placed your faith and trust in me and you are mine and that is all. And so, friends, be honest with God in your thoughts. Go to God with your thoughts. Share your thoughts with God. It's not going to scare him. It's not going to throw him for a loop. You know why? Because he knows them. God's not going to be like, oh, hold on. <laughs> uh, didn't know that one. Oh, we're going too far here. No, he knows them. And that should bring your heart to a deeper sense of worship, a deeper desire to say, Lord, let me be honest and open and whole with you. And then he also says in verse 3, you know my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Friends, there is nowhere we can go in this world where God is not. There is no place that we can get beyond God. There is no aspect that we can go so far that God is not there. And one of the things that I want to encourage you in is, is in those moments where you're hurting, in those moments where you feel forgotten, in those moments where you wonder where God is, in those moments where you have sinned and you feel, you know what, I've sinned to a point where God cannot forgive. I remind you that God can and God does because God has through Jesus Christ. The only sin that cannot be forgiven is what? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or disbelief in God. And so find comfort in that. Find truth in that. 
find rest and hope in that. And better yet, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. God knows what you're about to say before you're going to say it. Again, that's wholly comforting, and it's also wholly terrifying. But here, David is saying, essentially, he knows you so well. He knows you deeply and intimately that there is nothing about you that God doesn't know. And then to kind of give this idea of, well, is there somewhere that I could go? Is there something that I can do? Is there a place where I could be? Is there an area that I could get myself to where God isn't going to be there? David says, you hem me in. You bring me together. You corral me. You hold me. You cherish me. The word hem is such a beautiful word because it's this idea of bringing together, but not bringing together to be separated. It's bringing together to protect, to hold, to guide, and direct. Behind and before. That seems kind of weird. This is David's attempt to use finite language to explain an infinite aspect. Behind and before. Completely and totally. There is no area, God, where you are not and where you do not care for me and you do not desire me and you do not love me. You have laid my, your hand upon me. A hand of favor, a hand of desire, a hand of love, of mercy, and grace. And so God goes behind and before us and his hand is upon us. Friends, I want to just ask you, how many of you in, in times of life where you've gone into something new, through someone, whether it's a father figure, maybe it's a mother figure, but someone whom you know and value, as you are about to engage into something new, cherish the fact that that individual places their hand essentially on you and says, go, I'm here. That's what God is doing to all of us who are in Christ. My hand is on you. And then, essentially, as he contemplates these things in verse 6, this blows our mind. This should blow our mind because we're understanding that God knows us fully. And yet here is a God who is not able to be fully known. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. But what David is doing is he's engaging in worship. He's engaging in God, and he's saying, I am grateful to you. He's not allowing the enemy to come in and say, you know what, because you can't fully know God, but God fully knows you. You need to pull back in your worship and your heart for him. David does exact opposite. And he says, God. Thank you for who you are. While we can never fully know God, he fully knows us. And here's what's interesting. One of the things that we need to recognize is this, that this is God's design. This is God's purpose. This is not a mistake by God. God wants it this way. God has made it this way. 
And what I'd like to do is I'd like to just read to you the words out of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Paul is reflecting, essentially, on the aspects of God. He is reflecting on the attributes of love and mercy and grace. But then he comes to this understanding of who we are as finite beings and who God is as an infinite being. And this is what he says. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Now we see, but as a poor reflection in a mirror, as we look today and we look at a God who can be known for our salvation and our sanctification, but cannot be fully known, it's kind of like a poor reflection in a mirror. We can see it, but we can't fully see it. And then he says, then we shall see face to face. What's the then? When we go to be with our Savior in glory. Friends, there will come a day when we will see God face to face, and that day will come when we go to be with Him in glory. Right now, I'll tell you this. I would love to see God, but I don't want to see God. Because if I were to see God in all of His glory right now, you want to talk about Indiana Jones and the whole melting pot? It'd be worse than that. We even see in Scripture that God says, I will pass by. I will give you but a glimpse. And that small glimpse of who God is is way more than we could possibly fathom. God is way bigger, way larger, way more grand, way more majestic than we can ever comprehend because he is unable to be fully known. Now I know in part, now I know in part, God, I know you in part, I know you sufficiently, I know what I know, and I know that you've done all that I need to know for my salvation and my sanctification. I know you in part, and that part is 100% whole. Don't ever fear that there's more to discover about salvation or sanctification apart from the scripture, apart from God's word, apart from the 66 books of the Bible, apart from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have all that we need to know in part, salvation and sanctification. Then I shall know fully. Then I shall know fully. Even now, even now, as I am fully known. Kind of back to Psalm 139. Paul summarizes this. He says, be comfortable in it. Praise God for it. And don't worry about it. I love what he talks about there because we continue on and then we see this aspect as we begin to become more comfortable with worshiping a God who fully knows us and has given us all that we need to know for our salvation and our sanctification, but yet we will never fully know. Because God is unknowable and we are fully known, we sh this should enhance our worship of him. This should draw us to him, not away from him. 
Friends, one of the things that I'll tell you is, is we can explain God very well. We can explain God through the scriptures. We can explain Jesus Christ. We can explain salvation. We can explain sanctification. But there comes a point, there comes a spot, there comes a moment when we cannot wholly explain God. And that is fine and that is good because if we could, then God is not God. We look at this. And interestingly enough, in Romans, I'd like to just go there. We're going to take a look at Romans chapter 11, uh, verses 33 through 36. And it's essentially a doxology or a praise that is being written. We look at this and it starts off and it says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How amazing are they? How rich they are? How deep they can be? How unsearchable his judgments, and his paths beyond tracing out. We can't get to the end. We can't find them. We can't put God into a box. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Does anybody know the mind of God? I don't want to know the mind of God. I know God... I know, God, how he has revealed himself to us through his word. But the mind of God is not for me to know because God is God and I am not. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You want to talk about a terrifying job? Being God's counselor. God doesn't need a counselor because he is God. He is just. He is whole. He is righteous. He is pure. He is good. He is infinite and he is unknowable to the full. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? God, you owe me. Really? Friends, when we discover what God has given us and the blessedness that we have in our salvation, when we discover that we are fully His, that we have moved from a position of death to life because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, an infinite, unknowable God, being willing to become to the earth, to be known yet not fully known, to be fully man and yet fully God, to sacrifice Himself on a cross so that we as sinners can have life by the very one who created us? That should blow our mind. And we can't repay him for that debt. But we don't have to repay him for that debt. Because that debt has been paid fully in Jesus by the love, mercy, and grace that is displayed by Christ for us on the cross. And through the love, the unconditional love of our Father in heaven. And given to us wholly and fully through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that lives within us when we come to believe. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. From him, through him, and to him are all things. To him... And notice the end, to him be the glory, now and forever, amen. Worship of an unknowable God with a praise of who God 
is. Because God is unknowable, we are fully, and we are fully known, it should enhance our worship of Him. This is what Jen Wilkins says. She says, We will have an eternity to progressively explore His perfections. And because to know Him is to love Him, our ever-expanding vision will elicit ever-expanding love. Like a Christmas morning, with always another present to unwrap, eternity will increasingly disclose His hidden glories to the eyes of your hearts. And until then, let us pursue with eagerness what we can know of Him in this life. God who is unknowable yet has made himself known through Jesus Christ so that we might have eternal life through him should push our hearts and desires to want to know more about God yet recognizing that as we know about God, God is unable to be fully known. But that's why we worship him. As we come in the last aspect to know the unknowable God May we rest and rejoice in the mystery of God. And that's what I'm going to drive us to this morning. Friends, I don't want you being uncomfortable or worrying or saying, okay, because God can't be fully known, there's got to be something wrong. That's what the world wants us to think. That's what progressive ideas want us to think. But the reality is we've seen in Scripture, the plan of God is this, that I am not able to be fully known because I am God, yet I'm choosing to reveal myself to you wholly and sufficiently for your salvation and your sanctification through creation, the Word, and my Son, Jesus Christ. And so rest. Rest and rejoice in the mystery of God. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says this, speaking of God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Take a breath. Rest, rejoice in the mystery of God. We've asked a question, can I know God while not fully knowing God? And friends, the answer is simply yes. That's how God has designed it. We can fully know God for our salvation and our sanctification while never know, fully knowing who God is, this side of glory. The take-home truth this morning, what I want to leave you with is this. God is not fully knowable, yet fully knows us. And he has graciously given what we need to sufficiently know him. When we grasp our limits before him, our worship grows, and we begin to rest and rejoice in the mystery of God. Father, uh, we just thank you for you. We thank you for who you are and what you do. We thank you for the fact that we have a God who is infinite, we also thank you that we have a God who is incomprehensible or a God of infinite mystery. But in that, Lord, may we realize and recognize that indeed you have given us your word, you've given us creation, and you've given us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we might sufficiently know you for our salvation and our sanctification. 
And Lord, may that be enough. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus. We ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. This morning we're very